0: First podcast. Welcome to Crypto and Cocktails. I'm Jason.
1: I'm Ron. I'm Garrett.
0: I'm Matt. What is everybody drinking tonight?
1: Got a Goose, Goose Island IPA. Yeah,
2: Goose Island. And a protein shake.
3: I am drinking a funky red wine called Pashka. It's an effervescent red. I'm drinking a Pappy's Porter from uh,
0: The Alchemist. So, cheers, put links,
2: guys. Put links in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Guys. All right. Cheers to holders.
0: Right now, the price of Bitcoin on uh, Coin Market Cap is ten thousand nine hundred eighty-one
1: dollars and fifty cents. Damn,
0: dude. As of six fifty-eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so it's taken quite a bit of a dive. Part of that dive has been them removing the Korean markets from the uh, from the prices, from what they calculate or how they calculate.
2: So, did they? When did they implement that? They said they were gonna remove South Korea from all their exchanges?
0: They they removed it from the price calculation I think three days ago. Friday before the around the long weekend. Hmm. Um, and similar to a lot of things other exchanges have done, I don't think they announced it previously. It just it just took a
3: two thousand dollar drop hmm. essentially out of nowhere. Yeah, GDAX is riding at eleven six right now, so it's a bit of a discrepancy
1: yeah so i mean there's a question like where do you think where would you go to have like the most accurate you know pricing i mean if you're buying obviously you just go straight to exchange and like you're gonna you're gonna buy whatever that exchange is using to
2: calculate their prices but yeah i mean i use TradeBlock, tradeblock tradeblock.com that's one of the older ones coin market cap i always thought of like as the newcomer but they're both prices are whatever it is on the exchange they reflect them the
0: same, so you would have to go to your exchanges, right? And yeah, I mean, you and know, theoretically, the, the, if there's enough volume, the exchanges mm-hmm. will there'll be enough arbitrage that the exchanges will even up, whether it's through automated trading or just pure volume. It's not unlike what you saw in the early stock market days,
1: yeah. I mean, right? well, like, even if you're talking about like in December, like there was a ton of arbitrage in a lot of the exchanges, and you could take advantage of that if yeah. you're paying attention to it or just wanted to play that. Is it a lot tighter or can you still take advantage of some of that?
2: I think it's still tons of room for yeah. exchange arbitrage. If you're like playing on um, like HitBTC versus Poloniex, Poloniex has tons of U.S. customers, right? HitBTC is like a relatively in the U.S. It's a smaller exchange. And I've seen, especially in the beginning of December, i was seeing price spread spreads like $200, <laughs> yeah. $300. HitBTC also has like a lot of the weird new ICOs and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's a good spot to get some of the weird esoteric crypto. There's still tons of room to play with arbitrage. And so I, mean, I, I think the market and in that respect is still really immature. Even in the Korean markets, there was lots of arbitrage. Like, yeah, I mean, there was, they, I mean, they were
0: going to Singapore to buy their Bitcoins outside of the country and then sell them inside the country. That, that went totally against their Korean regulations, essentially. Which is one of the reasons why they're talking about banning it, or because it ruins, fucks with their currency quite heavily. Because um, they have a lot of controls over how you can trade in Korea, how all all sorts of stuff like that. Like you have to have a Korean bank account, which means you have like a verified Korean income and a bunch of other things. Like trading, it's not like you can go open a Korean bank account like as a foreign national. You just
1: wouldn't be to it. Well, people were doing that previously, right? They're like they were opening up like anonymous bank accounts, and now you have to be more verified or um,
0: in Korea. Yeah. No, you could never, You can't trade on any of the markets. You can't trade stocks in Korea like, without having... Yeah, not stocks, account.
1: but I thought, I thought I saw a piece that talked about people being anonymous in some of their Coinbase accounts or, like their, or their version of, or maybe some of the exchanges on in Korea.
0: I, I, I thought they all had pretty strict uh, rules, which is, which is why there's a 30, like there are up to 20, 30% premium on their price. That
3: is a huge culture among young people. That's,
2: yeah.
3: I'm waiting for a K drama where it's just a bunch of like, <laughs> it's like you have the poor girl at the school who bought one Bitcoin and she's like meticulously trading it. And then you have like three rich boys who have like a lot of Bitcoin and they're loose with it. And then she just like out markets them throughout the school year and then she falls in love with them or like the main guy. But then he gets like jealous that she has, she has, she's doing too well in the markets. And that's like the drama. But like they all just sit around and like look at their phones all day and talk talk about like Bitcoin. I think you could do a forty episode thing on
0: that. <laughs> I mean, it's a huge it's a huge thing out there, obviously, right? Like it's uh, culturally, it's a big thing.
2: So there's a guy on Twitter. I don't know if you guys follow him, uh, Joseph Young.
1: I saw you follow him. I thought it was my dad
2: at first. Time. Like, <laughs> my dad is not on Twitter. So. <laughs> um, Secretly, <sorry>. he's like <laughs> he's like really. Big in um, in following the Asian markets. He speaks Korean, so he I've been watching him for a lot of his commentary on um, his Twitter handles. Uh, I am Joseph Young, but he's been talking a lot about the Korean markets. But I'd be inter- I'd be actually shocked if there were Korean exchanges operating that required all that uh, KYC requirements. I think there have to be like few of them that were operating before those were mandated under the existing legal regime. I'm sure there were people who got in early on Korean exchanges that didn't have to go through all that. But uh, one thing he was saying was that uh, he was writing an article yesterday, I think, and he said that he was in an internet uh, cafe or something. And then he heard like three other people talking about buying and selling Bitcoin. He said it's like one out of three people in South Korea has traded Bitcoin. Like I think that's probably an exaggeration, but it seems pretty big.
0: That's a that's a lot of people. Yet yeah, they're only what like three percent of the volume like, world worldwide. Worldwide. Yes, yeah. I thought um, it was higher
1: actually. I mean the big worldwide. The... No, for um, Korean, for the South Korean population. One out of three. Yeah, I thought it was even higher than that. That's super high. Like, I mean. <laughs> I think I read somewhere it was like for the millennial age group it was like 80%. Yeah,
3: among among kids
1: yeah. it's super huge. huge. Yeah.
0: Do you think that's because it's easier for them to get on those exchanges than like a normal trading account, like a trade like trading normal stocks or buying so. I mean, like Samsung?
1: In the beginning, yeah. What Ron said like how some of them like didn't require to like to know your customer and like they got on and now I saw a piece where they talked about how, you know, some of those customers they do have to like either switch over to accounts where they have that kind of verification or yeah. they have, and they have to close those. And like, yeah, because they, they wouldn't like, be able to get their, their money back into their
2: their Bitcoin into
1: fiat currency that's spendable
0: to them at this point. Right. They're not right. holders, essentially. <laughs> like.
2: So the question is, did did um, did South Korea ban Bitcoin this week? Yes or no? Was
1: this yes, yes, or no? It
2: could be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was,
1: my understanding is that they haven't. I mean, they just talked about it, and then supposedly they backtracked on it, but then this morning, or like in Asia, like they... They mentioned that there's still a possibility that they will crack down, which is why yeah. there was another dip this morning.
0: Well, there were two things in Asia, Korea, and then the big one would be China cracking down. But I hear China does this every year as well during the big yeah, I feel like they do it like
3: every other month. <laughs> yeah. Probably know they're holding... <laughs> and they're, they're waiting. They're like, we'll put out the fresh lease and buy them to death.
2: My buddy, I have a friend who's a South Korean. He's a big crypto trader. And his take is that the South Korean government wants people to not invest all their money into Bitcoin because it's so volatile. So they want to do a certain amount of like, you know, governmental parentage and keep people from throwing away all their money. At the same time, they don't want to scare away investment into new technology. So they're doing these kind of like scare tactics too scare people away without actually regulating it. Mm. That was sort of his take.
0: The news sources that came out today on what they were thinking of doing in Korea was all geared towards, well, we don't want to regulate it so much that we ruin any first mover advantage on the technology. Right. Right. Because obviously there's, there's a huge following there, right? So it could become a big thing. To me, it's similar to like China passing massive regulations on Bitcoin when they're one of the biggest exchanges. Right. Right. Just sheer amount of power that they they put into the network
2: you followed china over the last few years you realize that they ban bitcoin and then unban it three times a year so we're due for it's been a few months now so we're due for another banning in china <laughs> yeah but they don't do they actually ban it yeah they ban it and they come out with like forget what they call it but it's like clarifications regulatory clarifications they basically say like it's not actually banned, but there's these new rules
3: yeah, but it's not like they actually shut the whole thing down until they release the clarifications. They say they're going to ban it, then they release clarifications, then they force the exchanges to follow those clarifications. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a ban. It's more like they threaten them with a the ban, then they put out guidelines and force them to go with those guidelines.
2: Yeah, I don't know if they try to enforce them. I don't think they try to enforce them. From what I've seen, they haven't really. Yeah. But it does cause like huge fear in the market, fear and doubt. And then people, like, start selling, and then they come back and say, oh, no, just kidding, we're, like, just clarifying the regulations. But it does seem to be a re- recurring phenomenon.
1: I'm still curious why they actually backtrack in the first place. They have no trouble controlling their own currencies and then also controlling how much how much of their own local currency gets moved in and out of the country versus, like, in terms of, like, uh, normal ways, like wires or... Pulling money out, or just even like withdrawing money out of a foreign ATM.
3: Well, that's that's the whole thing. They they can't control it, and what they I mean they
1: could control. It. They could just like tell the banks like don't accept any money out of a Bitcoin wallet or out of an exchange or something. Like that. Right, or but like like being you able to move money out. I mean, that's what the same thing that the US did with online gambling, right? You just like tell you just force all the banks to not accept the money back and forth. But
3: there's like a whole mining aspect of it, right? So the people can still mine and take the bitcoins they mine and put it into a wallet and then transfer this wallet to anywhere in the world and then take the money out that way. So you can easily do that, and as well as you can buy Bitcoin with, like, local currency. You know, I could wire you internally. I could just, you know, send a bank transfer to you, and you deposit into my Bitcoin wallet. And then you can get around it that way
1: as well. Well, you wouldn't be able to send the wire out of the country, like, up to a certain amount. Right. You know? But what I'm
3: saying is it's it's really hard to just ban Bitcoin the way you ban, like, online gambling. Yeah, of course. Because but- you can still just sit there and run, run a, a rig and VPN tunnel out the rest of the world and churn numbers. They actually have to go into the warehouses where the rigs are and shut them in.
2: Yeah, of course. But, dark, but, but if you usually <laughs> de delegitimize the currency and it puts huge roadblocks for people running legitimate businesses, like legitimate mining operations, they no longer feel like they have a secure investment because the government could shut them down at any time and they'll lose all their investment in that hardware.
0: Well, that's, I, that's the big fear, I would say, coming out of Korea and China would be same thing is well a couple of countries start toppling it doesn't matter that you know japan's invested in it or other countries are invested in it okay these major especially china these major economies are are moving away from it korea is i mean korea is no joke because as far as gdp and what they're producing on a mass scale all right so yeah like That's the fear, right? That they start the domino effect of other countries saying, "Nope, we're not going to do this."
2: I'd be
1: shocked if they actually. It sounds like
0: like they backtrack pretty quickly on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they always backtrack within like a day or two. Mm -hmm.
2: You never. I I think two weeks is the longest they've gone.
0: This news came out what over the weekend again, over the long weekend. Yeah. And then today, it's like every other news source is like, "Well, hold on a second, maybe they they're not sure."
1: (laughs) I think even, but they have scared them. People in China from using it much, as much, right? I mean, from last year or the year before, like they made up like ninety plus percent of the of like volume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen it now, but have, I mean, have you seen what it is now?
2: I haven't looked at how much the trading volume is. I've been mostly focusing on the mining volume, and there was a point where China was like about fifty percent to sixty percent of the mine. That's come down a little bit in like the last few months. One of the weird paradoxical effects of the. The price increase and in some of the regulation in China in the last few months is that it's actually somewhat diversified mining. But that's just Bitcoin itself, not the other cryptocurrencies. You have actually seen, especially like November and the beginning of December, you see us a lot of that mining kind of switching back and forth between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. And it was Bitcoin Cash took a huge hit today. Did they? Yeah. They're down into like the thousands now.
3: But Bitcoin Cash? No, it's trading
2: at 2,065. Mm. On GDAX?
3: Yeah. On Bitcoin so think... Market Cap, it's. Uh... It's only down 13%. 16.78. Yeah,
2: I see 17.74. But it's down 26%.
3: Yeah, I see it down 13 But yet, Bitcoin's trading at 12.2, and that's at
0: 9%. So, why why did Bitcoin Cash Ticket drop today? Is it sim- similar, I mean, I think they similar saw, news? They, yeah, they, always, they, always they, always they all drop They all dropped. They all <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: today was a bad day for everybody. Except for, there was some weird outliers, right? There was like one. Um, let see, who was it? Tether... Yeah, Tether was doing some weird stuff today. Uh, I saw people tweeting just wildly speculating that they're just like, so Tether, obviously, there's no cap on how much Tether can be printed. Not printed, but made. They essentially have whatever quantitative easing amount that they want. (laughs) But uh, well, someone said, oh yeah, of course Tether is going up today because the the CEO can just make more Tether and then just sell it and then dump it into whatever other cryptocurrency if they want to buy on the dip. So, but I thought that was pretty funny. But like, they're, they're the only one up today. They're up
3: 2.21%. I usually find in regular days, when Bitcoin's down, Litecoin is also down. They're about the same. They kind of trend the same. But Ethereum is always usually reverse. Like, if Bitcoin and Litecoin are down 5, like, Ethereum is, like, up by, like, up by like five or six. Mm. Uh, I still don't really know where Bitcoin Cash is. They they, they train in their own little world.
2: Yeah. Otherwise there's a few that are in the green, there's three, but they're all up by like two and three percent and then the two so other... How far down the list are you going? I'm not even yeah. gonna mention their names because they're probably just shit coins. <laughs> shell <Shit-hole laughs> coins.
0: <Shit-hole> coins. <laughs> so do you do you think the news about south korea and china and just the effects of what the the cryptocurrency winter i guess at this point
2: yeah so you know i hate doing analysis and like reading the tea leaves i think it's there's too many variables to speculate in any real way but my take on it is it's complex but there's a few key things that stand out to me one is the bitcoin winter so every winter right after you know January, you see, uh, especially if you look at the charts between 2013 and this year, uh, the parallels are like starkly amazing. They're just so similar. The charts, you see this huge ramp up from October to the end of December, where you have like 100, 200, 300, 1000% increases. And then right into the end of um, December, mid January, you see a 30% drop. And we're just like, it's a mirror of 2013. So I think that's the Bitcoin winter. I think CBOE's Bitcoin futures, the first futures are gonna settle tomorrow on the 17th. So a lot of the people who bought in to the futures, I think they're gonna they're going to see a shake up there because they bought in to the futures around 16 and $17,000. And now we're trading at like 10-ish, 11-ish. So I've seen a lot of speculation that, you know, the big whales are dumping the price to scoop up on the dip based on these futures contracts resolving or settling. And then I think some of the things you're seeing coming out of South Korea, is just like fear. So I think those three factors are the main three factors driving the price down. Obviously, I'm just like speculating, so that's my take. I'm still holding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we wouldn't expect anything else. So why don't we start start talking about coinbase? and this, I guess this report or analysis that came out about how they're spamming the network in order to keep their prices high or prices high in general. So I I don't know all the technical details of this. I think Ron, you probably know the most out of all of us exactly what graphs show and what the analysis says and all the, sure. those little pieces.
2: So anytime you watch Bitcoin and you have like big people who you know produce a lot of transactions on the network if you have a Bitcoin full node running you can see, look at the mempool or mempool to see how many transactions are in there how they're being processed how quickly they're being processed uh, and basically look at the the depth of transactions so anytime you have like a big major transaction maker who goes offline for a long time you can see the impact on the network so it's kind of interesting to look at Coinbase had an outage on January 11th from 6 pm Eastern Standard Time uh, and it went to just after midnight and it provided an interesting window to the Bitcoin transaction mempool and you see a huge drop off in unconfirmed transactions and the mempool immediately starts clearing up so you just see you know this chart that's gradually staying stable and staying uh, like Uh, basically a flat plateau and when they went offline you just see it immediately like dropping off in a stair-like chart going downwards pretty linear rate so what does
0: that mean if the mempool starts clearing up
2: so that just basically means that there's a let's say there's a static amount of transactions that are going into the network. So people are conducting transactions at a roughly linear rate, and as they're being added to the mempool, as new blocks are being created, they take those transactions out of the mempool. So you have new transactions coming in, and then as blocks are created, they're taking those transactions and putting them into blocks, so they're coming out. And it's basically, uh, during this time period, it was roughly linear. So there weren't any backing up and there weren't any falling off, which means the hash rate was keeping up with the demand for transactions. So what we saw was Coinbase went offline and immediately you see the mempool start clearing up, which means the hash rate and the the computer's mining were able to include more transactions into new blocks than there were being generated to create new transactions, which tells me that Coinbase was basically, some people call it a spam attack, but they weren't being clever about how they batch their transactions onto the network. They were just basically doing a one-for-one transaction. So, you know, if Matt, wants to take money out of Coinbase and send it to a private wallet, he's going to make a transaction and Coinbase would just be dumb about it and they'll just send transaction directly to the network. Whereas what they could do is send, uh, use like a SegWit address or they could use, there's a few ways to do it, but you could basically take a bunch of transactions together and settle them internally within Coinbase Mm -hmm. and then just send out the differential transactions.
0: So how does that affect Coinbase? Do they make more money because of that on, on fees or is it just bad
2: engineering? I would say it's probably just bad engineering. They're not being as clever as they could be when they send out their transactions. And what they really could be doing is being a better good faith actor in the peer-to-peer network. And they're kind of taking advantage of their position in the market by not really doing their due diligence when it comes to cleverly bashing transactions and sending them out. So this is actually beneficial to them because in creating congestion in the network, they see raised fees. They could be colluding with miners to get the higher transaction fees and then the miners could kick it back to them. So there's a few ways they could play this game. We have no evidence of that. But what there is evidence of is you can look at the mempool on this date and you can actually see, and I'll pass this chart around, you can see when they went offline, you see this, this is the mempool right here. And as soon as they go online again at, Uh, Around midnight, it was like 1230 at night. You see the the mempool immediately jump back up and it just skyrockets. You can also see the transaction fee. This chart's a little more clear. So they went offline around 6 p.m. at night. You start to see the mempool like decline. So more transactions are being included in blocks. And then as soon as they come back online, the transaction fees skyrocket again. And it kind of just stays that same way for the next few hours basically they could be doing better and smarter about
0: that so you mentioned segwit and i, I read a couple of things where they mentioned that this is one of the reasons why coinbase should mm-hmm. adopt segwit is it would take it would lower the amount of transactions in the mempool and but the other side of it is coinbase has come out and said that they are going to support it and they're not going to support it for a while
2: yeah which is funny because these guys benefit in theory, from like a healthy Bitcoin environment. So I, w- I would think they would be in their interests to support the sort of protocol that their are companies operating on. So this is kind of like if you're an internet company in the early 90s and you want to support tcpip right if they're under the covers really supporting an alternative something to like something like bitcoin cash or ethereum or a different cryptocurrency that they're really going to stand behind then yeah it's it's not in their interest to support something like segwit which will help to resolve the scalability problems with bitcoin i don't really don't know why they would come out and say that they don't support segwit because segwit has huge adoption or not adoption but it's you know the fork has already happened people have put their wait and supported it and they're just one key player that are saying you know we're not going to support that upgrade on the protocol even though it's already there so it's kind of sad to see and that's one of the main reasons that I don't support Coinbase
0: does this cause any like long term issues in the network
2: well yeah if they don't support uh, Segwit then we just be like
1: another fork or I
2: don't think it will create another fork but uh, by them spamming that network with the old school transactions they could be a better corporate citizen network citizen by using Segwit Addresses and then their users will have lower fees, and then the network as a whole will have more capacity because they're such a big contributor to the size in the mempool. So, if they were to suddenly adopt SegWit, you would see a big drop in, I mean, it would be a significant drop in the size of the mempool. So, if they were to do that, you would see a healthier n- network overall.
3: So, Coinbase's position is they are planning to implement SegWit in 2018, it's just not a top priority for them.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, well. I hope they do. So
0: we can segue into new features that are coming out. There was a new Bitcoin BIP, essentially a couple things that were added or put out there to support smart contracts. Uh, this is something that Ethereum is known for. Uh, I guess they're the biggest ones that I know of that
2: support smart contracts. Do you have notes
0: on this, Ron?
2: Yeah, so I was watching the GitHub repo for Bitcoin Core and it was actually the Bitcoin Bitcoin repo. So poll 12132, Uh, landed, I think last week, let me just double check. Landed last week and it's called uh, tail call semantics. So tail call semantics is BIP 117, BIP 117. It's a sort of user programmable um, paid to script hash which combines well with BIP 116's Merkle Branch Verify. and allows the script to commit to a practically unbounded number of code pathways and then reveal the actual code pathway used at spend time, achieving a form of generalized mast. So this is a huge optimization. It's a nice, nice improvement to the protocol. I don't really know much more about it other than that. It's always fun to see new BIPs though.
0: <laughs> so with new BIPs, there has to be an adoption, right? So, or does it go out to vote? How do new functionality get into Bitcoin?
2: So the BIP itself is like kind of a, a governance aspect of Bitcoin. The way, it's kind of like a RFC. So this was really adopted heavily. Like I know Python, the like computer language, programming language uses this. So they basically you come up with an idea for a feature and you write up your idea formally and you basically try to get, you advocate for the idea. And this can be something you write in English or another language. You can actually implement code that'll showcase how it works in practice. Sometimes people write a full implementation of the code. Other times people kind of like sketch up a rough, like a pseudocode implementation and you basically submit it to the the community and people can comment on it and ask additional questions and they're going to try to poke holes in it and see if there's any weird edge cases or failure cases. But it's just a way to provide ideas for new features to Bitcoin itself at a protocol level. So like one BIP that I really liked was when the pay to script hash had an improvement in the way the addresses were formatted. Mm -hmm. So previously it was like a really long hash of a fingerprint or is it a full um, public key that you had to send your Bitcoin to? Okay. It's a cryptographic public key and they changed that so you could just send your address or you send your bitcoin directly to a hash of the address instead so it made the uh, the application a lot less cumbersome to send bitcoin to and from so that was like an example of like a bit that someone just put out an idea like this is how it would work. There's like huge usability uh, reasons to do this because you don't have to put in this massive file to send a Bitcoin to this address. You just give it a small you know, 58 character address and that'll work just as well. Yeah, if you want to really follow Bitcoin at a protocol level and see kind of uh, what the future could potentially look like, then following the bips.
0: What do you guys think about the smart contracts? Adding that to Bitcoin.
2: When you say smart contracts, you mean like a fully uh, turn and complete programming language? Uh, the smart contracts,
1: so I mean, where you have like variables like that, need you need to like sort of hit in order to release the money, like. It could be like, a, exactly. it's essentially an
0: option, right, of of any yeah. sort. So it's, uh, I think Ethereum does this. and The base would be, you know, if a future is a contract, so at a certain date, I will provide you X amount of Bitcoin. Or you can do, if it hits, something hits a th- certain threshold that you can measure, give you this or that. Paying rent is is an options or a contract of some sort, right? So any anything like that. So mm-hmm. if you were paying your rent in cryptocurrencies and your door was... Like was encrypted. And stuff like <laughs> right. That. They could give yeah. you the encryption key to the door. Yep. As long as you provided Bitcoin for X amount of like the twelve year, twelve right. month lease or whatever it is. My
2: opinion on that is like <clears throat> like the pay to public key hash is sort of like a smart contract, mm-hmm. but it's like very rudimentary. Yeah. So obviously Ethereum is, is like the smart contract language. So I think Bitcoin, because it's treated more like a what's the word? A store of value right now. People are like, you know, they have their their altcoins and their ICOs and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, most people store their, or I don't want to say most people, but a lot of people store the bulk of their their cryptocurrency wealth in Bitcoin. And I think if you introduce smart contracts, like a fully uh, Turing complete language features to Bitcoin, it's gonna you're going to have a lot of problems with that because I don't think a lot of people want that in Bitcoin itself. I think Ethereum is a great example of another coin that's experimenting with that kind of stuff. So it's actually good that you have two different coins to have different properties so I'm a big advocate of the experimentation that Ethereum is doing but it's super experimental so I think it should stay <laughs> in uh, I mean, it's, it can be in, useful
1: I mean I think in order for it to be a more useful coin in terms of like if you wanted to you know push it towards like towards an avenue for, for payments processing or uh, that sort of thing like it does need to be like it still needs to be more efficient it needs to cost less it needs to be faster and all sorts of things and I mean, having multiple purposes for people to want to use Bitcoin for these, um, for these purposes will hopefully drive the prices down in terms of like by like bringing in more volume and stuff like that.
3: So what is your concept on this, that a feature that looks interesting, you'd rather make an altcoin to test and work that feature? Instead of putting it in Bitcoin itself, right? You're like, well, smart contracts. We should have a new ICO for that. Oh, you know, you know, certain technology f- with, you know, very low transactions. which create a new ICO for that? It is the idea to take a concept that looks really interesting, but it would take a lot of work to implement in Bitcoin to just spin that out into its own ICO and then run that. So you have like 30 different ICOs and you're like 30 yeah, different take, altcoins. Take so you're like, one. we need to do... <laughs> I need to do future contracts. Well, I'm going to transfer into Ethereum and go it out this way. Well, then I want to do this. I'm going to switch it out and go to an exchange and swap out.
2: Is that kind of... Yeah, actually, uh, I do think that that's a great way to do it. So Litecoin is a great example of this, right? So Litecoin was literally forked off of Bitcoin. And uh, Charlie Lee wanted to have a shorter confirmation time which in Bitcoin is literally like changing a few variables. Like that's it, right? You just fork the code on GitHub, change some variables, recompile it. Voila, it's Litecoin. Uh, Obviously, it's more complex than that because the biggest and hardest thing about getting a new cryptocurrency is marketing it and actually getting people to buy into it. But with Litecoin, one great example of how they had an idea for a feature in Bitcoin and Litecoin actually implemented was Segregated Witness. So since Litecoin is actually just a fork of Bitcoin, They saw the BIP that proposed segregated witness in Bitcoin and they actually went ahead and implemented it in Litecoin first. And when Bitcoin saw, and, you know, Bitcoin watches Litecoin as well, uh, they saw that it was very successful and it worked. They decided then to move ahead with the uh, the user-activated soft fork in Bitcoin. And they said, you know, look, there's great evidence of this working in Litecoin, so there's more reason to adopt this soft fork and adopt it that way. So I think that's a really great example of having altcoin do it first. Altcoins with smaller market caps uh, don't need to be as security conscious and conservative as Bitcoin does. So I think Bitcoin's approach, being that it's far more conservative, it keeps it as a good, you know, safe store of value. And I'm not saying I don't want Bitcoin to have smart contracts, but I do see that the great thing about having like a diverse ecosystem, kind of like an open source, it's almost like GitHub of cryptocurrencies, is that you can do this wild experimentation without having to commit your, your entire economy to it. I think Bitcoin can stay conservative like this BIP, for example, the one I talked about before, it implements a few minor changes, but Bitcoin's slow approach where it takes, you know, very, conservative uh, steps forward I mean, to change you, the would golf. you fear any like first mover advantage then in this
1: i mean you, you take that um, kind of risk
2: yeah so um yeah that's obvious obviously a risk ethereum has a huge first mover advantage with it being a turing complete programming language that said i think there's enough room in the economy for both right and i don't think because if ethereum is turing complete it's going to like beat Bitcoin, because I think they're going to operate side by side. I don't think it, it operates as a, as a competitive market between the two. They're not really operating as products that need to corner the market. I think they can totally operate side by side. I'm trying to think of like a good metaphor, but it's kind of like any currency. If you're in the U.S., the U.S. dollar makes the most sense. But if you go to Japan, you want to use the yen. There are measurements that one is better than the other. For various reasons, but they have different properties. They both have valid uses. I think what you
3: would use these, these right now. I think you would use <laughs> is programming languages.
2: Or yeah, that's programming that's, languages is a totally other great example.
3: Different different programming languages are designed to tackle different tasks. Yeah. So right? you, if
2: you're going to write, uh, you know, software that operates in a web browser, you want to use JavaScript. If you want to write something for an iPhone, you're going to use Swift or Objective C. So it's the same thing, right? And you know. Um, you're going to use Java. You're going to write an Android application, or maybe Kotlin, and they all have valid use cases. I think it's going to operate very similar to that. Obviously, Bitcoin is the best. but <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I understand your view of it. You can use each one for its own like specific like test case, or you can use Bitcoin for this protocol. You can use Ethereum for something else. Mm. But you know, maybe I maybe I was thinking like, what if you were looking at Bitcoin as like an entire platform? You know, I mean, I feel like one of these coins is that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to win out as, like, the platform that becomes the standard, like, across all the banks, all payment processing companies, all whatever. Yeah. And I that's think what
3: Ripple's trying to do for that segment of the market. Yeah. They're trying to be, you know, MoneyGram. You yeah, know, they're the, trying to replace Swift yeah. for payments.
0: Right? Yeah, so, that's what, right. yeah,
3: that's what the Ripple protocol is about.
2: And I, I think you'll definitely see that where you have cryptos that specialize for specific uses but i think it's going to be like programming languages there's not going to be one programming language to like rule them all mm-hmm. right well um, i
1: mean i mean but there's a possibility that people will like if they do well in something right let's say you adopt ripple for that and then you decide they they will also have like you know some more basic or rudimentary versions of all these other protocols that maybe bitcoin might do better in. Yep. but you know like if ripple becomes that big like They might just like, all right, offer like an entire suite, and it might be easier for, say, a bank to just use their entire suite of products.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that's the network uh, network effect of a a coin. Absolutely. You're gonna. I think we're gonna see in the next 10 years, we're gonna see a lot of coins becoming specialized for certain use cases, and we're gonna see a lot of consolidation in the market towards. You know, they're gonna go in the direction that most makes sense for the use case. So I think Bitcoin maybe speculatively will become the de facto reserve currency where you just kind of like a savings account. Yeah. Maybe Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash will be kind of like your everyday cash spend because yeah. the transaction fees are low. So yeah. maybe you'll like go to the coffee shop and pay in Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash. Ethereum will probably be smart uh, contracts. You know, one of the great things about Ethereum is they have the the ERC-20 standard, which is a standard that makes it trivial to create Alternative currencies based off of it. So, the Brave web browser, they have their like, basic attention type uh, token. I don't know if you've heard of this one. So, Um, brave is the new web browser by brendan eich brendan eich was the inventor of javascript and he has a company making a new javascript or a new web browser that by default it'll eliminate all ads in your browser so it's an ad blocker but you can opt in and add this ethereum spinoff token called the basic attention token you can add it to the in browser wallet and then when you go to like the washington post or new york times uh, you won't see ads on the site but instead, your browser will send them like a small token to basically pay for that ad space to be empty mm-hmm. instead. So it's kind of like a way to do subscriptions and micro So I think that's a potential for, you know, really um, disrupting the sort of ad networking space. And that might be something that a lot of ad agencies and web advertising consolidates around. And obviously, there's a lot of crypto tokens trying to play with like Internet of Things. Yeah. So maybe we'll see some consolidation around something like IOTA. Uh, there's a few players in there.
0: You're essentially predicting a currencies based off services in the future instead of based off maybe nationalities. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I see that
0: I mean, coming down the road. Because I mean, from your previous example, you know, yes, maybe at a certain point in time, I would have exchanged my U.S. dollar to yen, Japanese yen, but now I just go to Visa, right? And I pay a flat rate for the year. Yep. Right. That's what most people do at this point.
2: Right, just because it's that's a you know a great example of usability, right? Yeah, like it's just easier to yeah, use. The and stuff, you definitely pay for it, but it's a, so much easier that it's it's worth it.
0: Okay, let's uh, change years. Let's talk about this uh, Overstock.com uh, exploit, which I I think is hilarious because it's it it's if this was the Swift network, it would be billed as you know Bitcoin got hacked. Right. you know that's that's the big news line but it's just a bad implementation by yeah. coinbase was it or whoever was the do it in exchange doing the work yeah so my understanding is that you could essentially buy something in bitcoin no in bitcoin cash yeah
2: it was denominated in bitcoin on the overstock.com website
0: yes and you paid for it in bitcoin cash though
2: so you'd instead of sending bitcoin to that wallet address yeah you know so when you buy something in overstock they give you an address to send yeah. the money to yeah and you could just send bitcoin cash yeah for the equal amount to whatever the total was which is price let's and say you, let's say even right now that's like five times yeah. right maybe <laughs> okay. like six times so you said let's say you buy um i don't know like um uh, like a ring right like jewelry for like you know one Bitcoin so like $10,000. Yeah. And then you send, you know, I don't know, you send a certain amount of Bitcoin cash to that address instead. Yeah. And Overstock says, Oh, great, you paid. Thank you. And then you immediately refund it. They don't never even send you the ring. You just do an immediate like chargeback. Yes. Oh, I'm returning it, cancel the order. And they just send you back that equal amount of the total yeah. in Bitcoin. <laughs> so
3: they're basically saying one Bitcoin cash equals one bitcoin <laughs> yes exactly which is like twenty five hundred dollar bitcoin cash equal to about at that time fourteen thousand yeah bitcoin
2: so the guy there's a guy who published a um or released a uh the vulnerability alert and i saw this come up on twitter and it was like immediately one of those smack your head moments like oh my god <laughs> yeah like no I'm not. i was like why didn't i think of that <laughs>
3: So it takes like a lot of restraint to go, I'm going to let people know about this instead of exploiting this.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, uh, seriously. Uh, yeah. The cat, uh, the Mavericks uh, are allowing you to buy well, season they tickets Bitcoin, in Bitcoin Not yet
1: uh, for the next season. For next season, Mark yep. Cuban did, did say in 2008, you'll yep. be able to buy tickets with
3: Bitcoin. For that, that, you know, terrible team. <laughs> like the, the Body, I the not know. <laughs> so <laughs> so they, were, they were
0: using Coinbase as an exchange for this right uh, so they were the right. overstock was using coin coinbase to do this
2: or like a payment processor
0: no it was
3: coinbase
2: okay
3: no, no I never maybe it's not
0: i uh, read it was
2: coinbase i'm not sure how coinbase was the processor it could have been this. the
3: exchange someone wrote the the program like it'd be like ron you got the contract to write this and you're like well uh, why would i write my own exchange to do this I'm just going to use like GDAX to handle the buying and selling, mm. but you're like Bitcoin equals Bitcoin Cash in the code, and you're like eh, this makes sense. Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, I think I think here's Close enough. here's my <laughs> estimate, and I didn't actually read the full vulnerability alert, but what I imagine happened was whatever server is processing the payments was probably an old version before Bitcoin Cash forked off, and because of that, it was probably if it was a before. I think it was, what, August 1st when Bitcoin Cash forked off? If they were processing payments with code that did validation before then, then, yeah, functionally, that node would not notice a difference between a Bitcoin Cash address and a Bitcoin address because they are identical. That is an oversight, though, and a big one. <laughs> so it's pretty surprising to see that. But that's, that's like, a huge liability. But that's, that's some, this is, like, an example of where you're going to get reporting... Um, in the mainstream media saying like Bitcoin was hacked when in reality, it wasn't Bitcoin that was hacked. Bitcoin's well, never been hacked. Yeah. Um, and this is a problem of like a provider basically fucking up. Yeah.
0: So I, I, I think, so it was Coinbase because the guy sent his, he paid for it through his Coinbase account. Okay. Um, so maybe it was a Coinbase implementation that screwed it up. Uh, because overstocks statement back was that they made no changes in that. Part of the something got fixed in the Coinbase implementation to to resolve this. Might
2: have been Coinbase was managing the Overstock wallet, possibly, and credited the Bitcoin Cash to the wallet address as Bitcoin. Yeah, that's kind of what I would have imagined.
0: I wonder. I wonder if you were required to have Bitcoin prior to the fork, like an old old bitcoin essentially because if you have old bitcoin you're on both ledgers yep. and that could be the issue which would be interesting if you now have old bitcoin because there's probably a whole bunch of i mean there are issues when coinbase added bitcoin cash to the to the exchange because of that as well mm-hmm. right so i wonder i wonder how many more interesting scenarios we'll see out of this with like the <laughs> the hard fork essentially
2: right we could try this on other uh, other retailers I'm uh, sure that's what people are doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would not recommend doing it, but um,
0: well, apparently, uh, Overstock fixed their thing pretty quickly. So. Right?
2: Did
1: they say how much they
0: lost? I mean, it was—I think it was like seventy-eight
2: I dollars. I don't
0: think they, the, 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 the exploit was like seventy-eight dollars. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, and then the guy said like uh, he was going to donate the money to like a charity, and I think he ended up donating the money that he made to uh, Mozilla or something, mm-hmm. which is always nice.
3: Donates to Let's Encrypt.
2: Let's Encrypt, another great 503CV. Yeah. Great, um,
0: yeah, I thought that was really interesting and fun, just because it highlights the Bitcoin may be really conservative in the way they do things, but there's still another ecosystem around it that needs to yeah. be put into place. And that's going to take, it's going to be a huge part
2: in the adoption of right. Bitcoin.
0: I mean, it's a store value right now, but at some point you're going to have to use it as
2: something. So um, this wasn't on the agenda, but I was looking at Twitter earlier. And one thing that I saw was some people speculating about the price being driven by various other things. One thing that people said though was, uh, "Do you guys know Camp Pool?" Yeah,
3: they're a mining pool.
2: So they're one of the biggest mining pools. They operate out of China through Bitmain, which is Bitmain's one of the biggest uh, Chinese pushers of Bitcoin Cash. This guy, Jihan, and Roger Ver, like the main proponents of Bitcoin Cash. So Bitmain also makes uh, mining hardware. So like the Ant Miners, their main product. Those things are pretty dope. They're dope, yeah. They're really nice. So what they're most famous for is this thing called ASIC Boost, which they found a way to, in the SHA-256 hashing algorithm, they found a way to optimize, I, I want to be politically correct and say optimize their hashing algorithm so they could, Hash faster than everybody else with the same hardware. Mm-hmm. Subsequent releases to or changes to the protocol have like made that technique obsolete. And then Bitmain immediately was like, "Well, we're going to do Bitcoin Cash." And the side effect of Bitcoin Cash is that you can use that optimization to mine. Mm-hmm. So they directly benefit from it. But one of the interesting things that's happened today was the main Antpool Twitter account was tweeting at Poloniax's support Twitter handle saying, like, urgent, please help. Respond to ticket number, like, 59439 or something. And people were like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> and some people had links to some, um, like, large Bitcoin cash transactions that seemed to have come from pool and drained their account and sent it to Poloniax. So this, this is all very speculative right now. But some people think that either Amp Pool was hacked or uh, they, like, sent the Bitcoin cash payment to, like, a Bitcoin address, oh. which would have locked the funds forever. Oh. But the other thing is that Amp Pool has not paid out any money to their pool for the last few hours.
3: Should we have a rumor mill section? <laughs> this is, the, yeah, this should I, we have a rumor mill? I think, I yeah. think this, this is, is this, this is a this developing is story. Yeah.
2: So... Um, yeah, I want to see if I can talk to some of my friends at Poloniacs to see what's going on with that.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's interesting because there's, there's there's still a lot of infrastructure that needs to be put into place mm-hmm. in order for so, right. any cryptocurrency to become mm-hmm. mainstream, especially when you're talking about right all the side services that need to go into place, having tech support, uh, this just general operations, minute. right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's... It's... uh It's... Interesting to see what happens to the exchanges when they have either bad security practices or standards, really or someone just right straight up fucks up.
2: Yeah, right. So, especially with a big mining operation, right? Because exactly, you have some these huge mining operations that do not have an exchange, or like they don't operate one themselves. The really big ones sometimes even operate their own exchanges, but the biggest mining uh, operations have pretty close relationships with the exchanges because they they mine all these coins they need to sell them on the market yeah so they have these close ties usually with the people and and they develop these relationships this is just an instance where like they're they're so urgently like please help they're just like literally resorting (laughs) to twitter just like any other pool
3: but that's how you contact an exchange there's that's the thing there's no 1-800 number to call any of these people like if you submit a ticket to coinbase or to pointius it goes into a giant queue of a million tickets, and there's one person. He's like, uh, "I'll get to it." Like, <laughs> like that's the thing. There's there's no. It's not like I can walk into Bank America and go and talk to a teller. Yeah. That, you can that go is,
2: you can go on
0: Reddit and complain until someone some support. Yeah. Until it gets to like the top <laughs> page, and then someone finally looks at it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. There's no support
2: here. Right. You know,
3: you're at, like, the mercy of whatever they're doing.
2: Yeah. And that's sort of, like, the fun of the, the immaturity of this marketplace and this whole ecosystem. It's like, the ampool motherfucker is just, like, the same Joe Schmuck as everyone else on Twitter. He's like, oh, you gotta look at my support ticket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't fund my account.
2: Yeah. yeah. I fat-fingered the address and I lost all my money. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens.
3: I mean, Mount Gox was the same way, right? There's a whole backstory on how he lost all the coins, and then through slow manipulation and a bot called Wiley, yeah. he like ramped up the price so he could like fulfill and refund all all the accounts.
2: Yeah, didn't it become a Ponzi scheme after that? Basically, yeah. Well, he got to a he got to
3: a situation where he was. Like as he drove up the price, he was also driving up the price of how much he had to deliver out. Yeah. Um, But he got he did he did okay.
2: He did pretty good for a Ponzi scheme.
3: (laughs) He he did okay for like you know handling with with the withdrawals. I remember
1: a Ponzi scheme that actually
2: worked out, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, the thing is, he wasn't like, and everyone was happily ever after. Like that's how the Ponzi scheme always ends, right? Yeah.
3: He was he was doing he was doing okay. He got he got to a certain point. But there was, like, he had, like, a bot that was, like, r- running all these buys to drive up the price from, like, 130 to to 1000 mm. And then he was using that to, like, fund and put the money back into the accounts of all the money that was, all the Bitcoins that were hacked out of this thing.
2: Actually, I saw an article, I didn't read it today, but there's an article about how two researchers think that... The price of Bitcoin was manipulated from ten dollars to a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm referencing. That... Yeah, okay. yeah, it's it, so it's from this, yeah, from this
3: guy. So that article that was published is based upon two Reddit posts that describe like what happened. So they read the Reddit posts and then they went and they like investigated it. Basically, the guy who ran MGOX uh, lost a lot of his Bitcoin. And so he, like, manipulated the market to drive the price up so he could refill the accounts that he lost out. And it's like, he almost got away with it. Yep. But then he got hacked again.
2: If it wasn't for you damn kids and your <laughs> computers.
3: Yep. Do you think that the market's still being manipulated in that way?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Heavily? Yeah. Ever. Yeah, go on to Telegram and look at the whale chat forms. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Telegram. Okay. Go on Telegram, <laughs> you'll see a lot of manipulation, yeah. especially for the, the ICOs. But I think I Which think it's like kind of
1: ironic when, like, if you go on Reddit today, everybody's just blaming big institutions
2: and stuff like that for doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The biggest blame today I saw was all because of the futures, and they're like, oh, it's all the whales who are driving the price down so they can buy on the dip. And yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely a lot of market manipulation, but. I think that's, like, anywhere, even the stock market. But, you know, the, to get back on the, the story of the Mt. Gog scandal, I think the unfold sob story there is that he actually had to sell all of his magic cards to, <laughs> to make good on a lot of that those payouts. He had some rare ones, too.
3: So, right now, $710 million, uh, $710 million have gone in 24 hours on Bitcoin. So... It takes like a lot to move.
1: It would take yeah, a
3: lot to, just, to manipulate it.
1: Wait, like, is that the? That's how much money
2: has moved?
3: Yeah, today, yeah. Million, 710 million 110 million. have moved today in 24 hours.
2: What's what's the average? That's no.
3: That's like so. 63,000 bitcoins moved in 24 hour period, at 11,000 dollars a bitcoin. I mean, that's not. Well,
1: that's so pretty low for the six, bitcoin market. Well, I mean, it's low compared to like stocks. Yeah.
3: So there's 710. So well, even even for Bitcoin, I think. Oh, so seven hundred ten million. I think it was. I mean, it would, t- it would take like, yeah, you got to have some institutional money like, to move well,
1: that. Yeah, you would. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of like, if you, I mean, a lot, or just a lot of big coins. stocks. I mean, have, moves more money than that per day, but you'd have to mm-hmm. have so much money uh, to move it. Yeah, yeah you. You got to like, like that's the whole thing with like,
3: you have to have a lot of money to move it. And you're in a really risky place.
1: See, but the problem is, like, people don't understand is you can't... I mean, even, even in Bitcoin, I don't think you can... You can't really move that much volume without people noticing. If you, you own, like, I don't know, $50 million, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. That, you, that'd be enough to, like... That'd be enough to move to, you know, oh, have, like, warning signs from other people, like, what the hell's going on, right? No I mean, way.
3: You could easily generate, like, 25,000 wallets. It's not hard to generate wallets drop the bitcoins in there and do a staggered buy over the course of like multiple days right you could to, do that but
1: you can't do it like on the spot you know if you do it on the spot people will notice but yeah if you're, sure if you're just trying to unload but the problem is like if you're saying you know this whole conspiracy someone ramped it all the way up to like nineteen thousand before they sold right you can't sell that many bitcoins at once without people noticing and then other people going, what the hell's going on? And then they're going to sell too, right? And then but it of, just cause like a whole... But of like, course, chain well, reaction. Actually, yeah. Yeah, But so
3: like, exactly. no one's going to just try to be like, unload $50 million at once. You're going to cause a huge problem. You would stagger your sells over the yeah, course... I mean, you have to, yeah. so, Right? So there's no reason why someone's going to be like, for the next six weeks, I'm going to uh, put $50 million in and ramp up the market in a giant pump and then once it hits 19.5, I'm going to slowly sell off with it with a with a with a low program. You can easily take, you know, 50 million dollars of Bitcoin, generate 50 thousand wallets, put them all in there, and then slowly sell
2: them up. You just literally describe what I've been doing for the past week. Yeah, 50 thousand Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's really yes, yeah, so and it's not a
1: hard thing to do. It's not, but if you're being that meticulous with your money, if you have that much money, right, like every that's, every minute counts, right. So it's like you can you can bat an eye, and then you could lose two hundred dollars per Bitcoin. That's the right?
3: That's the whole thing is that it, you're, you're gambling with fifty million dollars. That's that's the real the real thing is that it's a very unstable, and you don't know what your money's doing. Right. But if I'm sure, if you have like enough research and much smart people, and you're like, if I infuse fifty million dollars over the course of six weeks or or like eight weeks starting before Thanksgiving all the way through January and no matter what the price is and I keep doing a buy every like 15 minutes based upon you know our simulations the market will go up and if we keep doing buys everyone else is going to keep doing buys we ramp the price up and then we slowly sell off and we drop the market off and then you do that and then you just do it again and again you See? wait every winter You do it
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah The beginning of uh, January every year and you just sell off Some of your coins <laughs> Yep It's the Bitcoin winter Bitcoin winter Look it up Google it Yeah So like You can you can easily Yeah you can do it It's just yeah. I
1: mean it's just not efficient You're going to get You're going to get hit By that many transaction fees On how many splits You want to do and stuff
3: Transaction like fees only happen If you try to sell At marketplace right So if you're like Depends I'm on going... the exchange Huh Depends on the exchange Yeah So it depends. Yeah. So like if you're on GDAX and you're like, I want to sell this one Bitcoin at 15,000 and then when it gets to 15,000, you you get sold, then then you're fine. Like you don't have any transaction fee. But if you're like, I want to sell this 15,000 now or I want to buy this 15,000 now, then you hit with the transaction fee. So you can stagger it where, you know, as you you sell, you, you just line transaction fees there. And then you obviously, if you're doing that much money, you're just going to run some simple math and go, oh, our transaction fees are going to be $25,000, but we're going to make $75,000. It's
2: fine. You know? I wonder how much of this, this dip is just caused by people who don't want to hold anymore and they're like, well, I'm out. People that are just bored. Yeah.
0: Or, you know, yeah, I mean, you they, see... made, they made money in October and then they're like, okay, I'm done.
1: Yeah. Or like people who, well, I mean, you see like the majority mm-hmm. of people buying probably around December, right? Yeah. And it's Christmas. They, they, and they saw that much they saw like the price movement like move up that fast. Yeah. And like now if you if you kinda of look at what it's what's happened in January, it's kind of been like a little stagnant, like somewhere around like twelve thousand right. to like fifteen thousand, but it hasn't like it's gone up and down like every couple of days, but it hasn't really broken through.
2: They're not seeing any new fancy shiny big numbers. They're like, uh I'm bored. I'm not really into Bitcoin anymore. I'm going to do something
0: else. I'm going invest in, what's the one that was up today?
2: Uh, Nimbla or something? <laughs> oh, Tether and Nambla? Tether, what was Tether? Tether and Nambla. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. bored of Bitcoin, I'm it's just going to... crypto for pedophiles, Some... you know, Or they're moving money into stocks, because
1: like, stocks have been going up they had since the like beginning of the Stocks,
0: stocks yeah. are, compared to Bitcoin, are a more secure <laughs> investment. It's like investing in treasury bonds almost.
1: Yeah, and if stocks keep going up, like like it'll never go down just like Bitcoin, then why not just put it there if it's a little safer?
0: And that's it for episode one. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of our podcast. Hit us up on Twitter. We are at CryptoBlocktail. We'd love to hear what you think. Follow us on SoundCloud to get updates on all our future episodes. Or visit us at CryptoCocktails.pub for more information on us and the show. Thanks again. Peace out.
3: Show me the way.